Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Well, hello there, dear listeners, and a warm, warm welcome back to a brand new season of Collective Wisdom. I'm your host, Kat Preston, and I'm thrilled to be with you once again, sharing the inspiring stories of changemakers, entrepreneurs, writers and creatives from around the world. In this season, we'll continue our exploration of the incredible impact of storytelling, creativity, and the pursuit of our unique gifts and talents. We'll hear from individuals who, like me, believe in the power of connection and how sharing our stories can lead to positive change in the world. This episode is particularly close to my heart because we have a very special guest joining us, a remarkable individual who has a unique perspective to share. Anastasia Butt, who is originally from Kiev in Ukraine and now a grateful guest here in the UK. I got to meet Anastasia as she's a friend of the Ukrainian guests we're hosting, who are now, I'm happy to say, firm friends. I have nothing but admiration for the way they have all shown up and faced the huge challenge of arriving here 18 months ago with such resilience and positivity. It's by no means been an easy journey. Anastasia has very kindly agreed to share a bit more of her story with us today, and it's my hope that on hearing it, you'll gain a deeper understanding of the power of simple acts of kindness and how they can transform lives for both the giver and the receiver. So with that, I'll hand you over to my conversation with Anastasia. Anastasia. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to Collective Wisdom. I wanted to start our conversation just by saying a big thank you, because I know this is not something, normally I interview people who are quite used to speaking about themselves. And the reason I asked you to join me was because when I met you for the first time a few months ago, you were just so eloquent and clearly had a lot to share about your experience. So firstly, I'd just like to say thank you for being brave enough to be here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me as well. And if you could just say for the audience, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I would like to go back to the days before war broke out and what life was like for you in Kiev. Well, um, we had a usual family um, and we live in Kiev and I went to school, but then I wanted to do the uh, pre-undergraduate course in the university, and um, I, did, I I've done a homeschooling free for a little bit, and um, I really enjoyed art, and um, I did preparation course at architecture university, and uh, I really enjoyed um, reading, um, nonfiction, and all sorts of things, just as a usual teenager does. Yeah, yeah. And so how old were you when war broke out? Because we're talking sort of a year ago now. Yeah, I was 17. 17. So you'd finished, but you were homeschooling. So you yeah. finished your formal schooling. Yeah, I've done uh, online schooling. And that was the last year of school. Right. And so for things like art, how do you do the homeschooling? Are there courses that you can Yeah, take there as- are um, lots of courses online courses you could take or just uh, drawing your own time and then the teacher would just check on you right. how you're doing and is your aspiration to be an architect um yeah oh amazing amazing so for you what would have been the so you were you were in the middle of doing your art studies your mathematics studies what was going to be the next step for you if I was in Ukraine I would go straight to uni so we don't have um, something in the middle, like sixth form in England. Um, after 11 years of school, um, children in Ukraine would normally go straight to university. So um, we're prepared to um, apply to the university in Kiev. So you go straight from, you leave school at the age of 16, 17, 
and then you go straight to university. Had you already applied for a course? Um, yes, I did. But um, uh, the problem with it was that I haven't finished the school. So you were just completing some courses yeah. to, to qualify for what you needed to go to university. Yeah. And what sort of things did you enjoy doing with your friends? What kind of thing? I mean, I'm just trying to paint a picture of life in Kiev. For many people, the first time they'd heard of Kiev was when when suddenly there was all this news of, of the war breaking out. Well, Kiev is the capital and it's quite a big city and lots of people and immigrants uh, want to come to Kiev um, to study or work. And um, it, it was exciting life. And there were lots of places to go to from cafes. We had an amazing nightlife in, in Kiev. Uh, it was a bit like London, mm. but uh, not as big. There were also places to go sightseeing. And right, right. And explore. quite a lot of, did, did, did you say immigrants, but did, did you have tourism? Yeah, we had lots of tourists, um, not only in Kiev, but places uh, like Odessa, that's the city in the south of Ukraine, um, which had an amazing sea. And before 2014, we also had lots of t- tourists in Crimea. There was mm-hmm. a very popular place and there were lots of tour bases and hotels and um, it was very popular. Yeah, so so, so Odessa might be somewhere you'd go for your summer holidays, or yeah. Before two thousand fourteen, um, me and my family would um always go to Crimea for summer holidays. Right. That was our favorite place. Yeah, yeah. And did you travel outside of Ukraine? Um, I went once to Denmark with my friend, uh, but not that we always wanted to go abroad, but quite happy to stay in Ukraine and the nature in Ukraine is very broad there are mountains mm. there's lots of places to see and it's yeah it's a big space so yeah, yeah it's very big. yeah absolutely and what was family life like so it was you your mum your mum and dad and and you're an only child is that yeah right? I'm an only child and it was me my father uh, and my mum my cat as well right right and then you know if I can take you back to yeah, February the 24th, which I think took everyone by surprise. I don't know how it was being in Ukraine. Were you aware of how how quickly, I mean, from, from my perspective, things happened very quickly. Was there a sort of build-up to, to the outbreak of war? Um, just probably a couple of weeks before 24th of February, um, we would hear on the news about possible war. And there were also um, interviews um, of some security um, systems in USA or other countries that warned us about uh, possible war uh, coming. And but no one listened. Well, some people believed, and also we were told to prepare an emergency bags. Uh, but most people, like my family, didn't believe it because um, we have relatives in Russia and how come could it happen? And when 24th uh, February came, we woke up from the sound of bombings or shootings. They were quite far away, so we couldn't um, understand what's happening. And uh, the first thought was that um, it can't be, it couldn't be. Um, We thought, oh, maybe that's just some fireworks or... I don't know, builders, anything, yeah, <laughs> not, but not yeah. the war. And originally um, we thought, oh, it might be maybe somewhere far away in Donetsk or Luhansk, maybe near a border, but how come they come, uh, can come to Kiev so quickly? And originally we decided to stay in Kiev and have a think, um, calm down. And um, the first day we spent in Kiev, which wasn't very pleasant, as um, we leave near motorway and we could hear tanks going out of the city um, and some shootings from all over and um, that was quite stressful. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, when the evening came and my mum went to work because she works as a pharmacist and she had to help 
open up the office and there were people there as well. When she came home, the bombings started to build up and the best decision was to go to nearest bomb shelter, which for us was underground parking space uh, at our house. And we had to spend the night there. Even we tried to go home, but there was, um, how do you say, like the government introduced um, the times when civilians can't go out. Right, a curfew, a curfew. curfew. Yes. So they put a curfew in place pretty quickly. And was it was it easy to get information? Was it was 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 there sort of mixed information, mixed messages about what you should do and where should where you should go? Um, there were some clear messages from our president Zelensky, and also um, some people from the government. But during um, so many messages and so many information and news. Um, what's happening here and there, it was quite confused. Yeah. So there was a curfew, which meant you they were saying stay at home or go to the shelter and then don't come out again. So um, the government introduced a curfew for different cities. It was different times and you just have to uh, follow the instructions of um, the government and some people did listen to the curfew and um, would go to the nearest bomb shelter. Some just preferred to stay at home because, again, not everybody believed that was actually happening. Mm. And especially in Kiev, they were sort of thinking, well, maybe on the eastern border, but it's not really yeah. going to happen in Kiev. Yeah. yeah, nobody believed that would happen in capital so quickly. No. And uh, we decided to go to uh, parking, underground parking, and we spent the night there. That was quite scary because we could hear from the motorway there was heavy machinery driving out to the city and coming back. And we couldn't see what's happening. We could only sit and read the news mm. and only check like that. And also we were thinking how our relatives are doing because it was very hard to connect and communicate. So not always we had um, mobile uh, connection. Right. And was, was the electricity affected at that point? Um, at that point, not everywhere. For me, um, I, I, I was um, in parking space. So um, there was no um, charging spaces yeah, so or anything. You didn't really have anything. Gosh. And so you, stay, you stayed overnight. And so how long did you stay in Kiev after war had broken out? Um, we spent a day um, in Kiev. And then um, 7 a.m. the next day, we've decided that we will um, drive out of Kiev and try to go somewhere to Western Ukraine, somewhere um, safer. But mm. uh, at the point, uh, we didn't think that we will go abroad. Or we didn't really have relatives abroad and we ne- really never went anywhere abroad. So we still believed we could stay and um, probably find a place there. Mm-hmm. And, and how long did that... So, so you know, that, that carries on. The invasion happens. You have... So, so this is now sort of 48 hours after the, the first the first shells and the first movements in Kiev, what then What then happened to make you decide, really, we have to go, we have to leave? Um, the uncertainty, mm. um, because I thought that I don't think I'll ever be able to study in Ukraine. I don't know how long it will continue. Mm. And I, we don't know how my mom will be able to work there or not. And this uncertainty um, just pushed us to this decision. So you'd driven out to the west to another city yes, in western um, Ukraine. My father had a um, relative in Lutsk. So we stayed there and the next morning we went um, to Polish border. Wow, wow. And presumably, I mean, you said you had a cat. Did you have to take the cat with you or how does that work? Um, yes, in the morning um, we took the cat some some supplies like food or uh, phone for my grandma, just in case um, she needs anything. We took it 
to her place and then immediately went to Kiev to drive out of Kiev, uh, which is, was very stressful as well because the traffic was really bad. It took mm-hmm. us about five hours to, and we only got from Kiev to uh, Kiev's region, uh, which normally takes about half an hour. Gosh, five hours. So there's this huge traffic jam. Everyone's panicking. And so you get to your, you, you went to your grandmother's house? Yeah. And then you have to make a decision around whether you, you decided pretty quickly it was better to try and get out of Ukraine altogether. Well, um, we, at that point, um, we knew from the news that villages around Kiev are occupied. Wow. And uh, it will be hard to get through um, if, we will be, if we will be able to get through. Uh, but we decided to take the risk. And um, as I said, the traffic was really bad. And sometimes there were tanks coming. Um, I think there were Ukrainian tanks, probably. They were also so... But you just don't know. I mean, yeah, we, we don't not, know. Not, not trained to say, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, whose tank that is. But also saw helicopters coming towards Kiev, and that was quite scary because we didn't know if there were Ukrainian or Russian no, or... No, it must have been terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And presumably a lot of this was at night time. You had to sort of drive... We decided to drive out of Kiev in the morning. Right. But we only got to um, the, our relative's place um, by midnight, probably. Gosh, gosh. So all day to get... And then, and then what was the next stage of the journey? Because at that point... From from my perspective, it was um, there was a lot of confusion on the Polish border. People, you know, there were sort of trains, and it was it was the uncertainty. People didn't know whether they were leaving for five days, five weeks. You know, how how long before they would be able to get back to to Ukraine? Well, um, first day it started. Poland was the most welcoming country Mm. and um, that's why we chose Poland and then we could decide where we would go next and whether we're staying or coming back or what situation will be. And um, it was very close from Kiev, from from Ukraine as well. So there were uncertainty what border to go to and how to get through, what paperwork do we have, do we have to sign anything? Uh, and we have to walk through the Polish border because uh, my father, being a male between 18 to 60, um, he cannot um, leave the country. Right. Uh, there was another law set by the government and um, he just drove us to the border as close as possible and then me and my mom had to wait um, because there was a queue. There were women, mostly um, some women with um, children, some women pregnant. And um, but I'd say that Polish border guardians were really helpful. They uh, took care of smaller children, and um, there were also camps where you could get some food or warm clothes if you need. Mm. So those things really did make a difference because I think that was the perspective. Everyone was just felt so helpless and what can you do? And you don't know, you know, but I think all the charities that were sending blankets and medical supplies and all that stuff was yeah, actually I'm sure the helping. people who were desperate to get help, they um, did get it. Yeah. And after we crossed the border, had our passports stamped and uh, were free to go. Uh, we tried to speak the, to the police officer, but we could not understand <laughs> Polish because we never spoken it before. No. Uh, and he couldn't really understand us, and they also didn't speak English. So there was a Ukrainian woman uh, who came to us and said, oh, over there, there are um, guys who really want to help. And then we talked to them, and it was two men who came from Belarus, in 2019, when they ran from um, the government, from their president, 
Mm. And if they stayed in their country, they would have to go to jail for uh, protesting. Wow. wow. And um, they came to uh, Poland uh, two years ago. And um, as soon as they knew about the war, um, they came after work to a border to help Ukrainian families. And it was them who took us, me and my mom, and also another lady um, to Warsaw. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! I mean, just I mean, just everything. Just the, the, it must have been so hard saying goodbye to your dad, and he just had to turn around and go back in. And then, yeah, it was very yeah. sad, very upsetting. Yeah, and being surrounded by so many people in the same situation. I mean, there must have been so many people like that with mothers with young children coming across the border who'd said goodbye to all their loved ones that they were leaving behind. Yeah, the situation there was very tense and um, also uncertainty um, was literally fine in there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess guess you just, you, you go into a sort of, just a survival mode you just have to keep going keep right right we're here now so much uncertainty now we've got this lucky break with the guys who are seem to be helping and was there an element of not knowing who you could trust did you did you feel sometimes that it was difficult to know can I believe what these people are saying yeah that's uh that was the problem not all women did accept their help because Mm. Um, there is there were also helicopters flying from Belarus, and um, they knew, know what they're running from, and they didn't want to just get into trouble. Um, but at that point, um, we didn't couldn't think clearly. We just decided to trust, and yeah. um, you have to just make a decision in the moment and then hope that it's all going to come out for the best. Yes. So that got you to Warsaw. And then how, how does it work from there? Um, so I had a friend who I never actually met in real life. But again, um, he texted me with an offer that um, his family is very happy to help us to settle in Poland. And um, if... I end up in Poland, they could pick us up and they have a place to stay and everything. And um, I've decided to accept help as well. Wow. Um, and to trust as well. And um, this is the kindest and most generous family I've ever met. Um, they have two boys. Um, they live in a smaller city uh, just near Warsaw. And as soon as I called him and said that, were in Warsaw, um, he and his father drove to Warsaw to pick us up and um, give us gave, gave us a very nice and welcoming dinner. And after that, um, we went to sleep. This was something you met. It was just like a an online friend. Yeah, it was just an online friend who I um, tried to learn English and. We're just practicing. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking, unbelievable. And we heard so many stories about just the hospitality um, from so many Polish families. People, I mean, one of the things that I remember was seeing there was a bridge, and people were just leaving baby buggies and just anything that they thought might be able to help. Um, just these small gestures that make, like you say, just such a big difference. So you managed to get into someone's sort of space and get get some hospitality and that must have just been like oh thank goodness you know at least this is not as disastrous as it could have been because there's so much uncertainty as soon as you leave the safety of your your home and then you go to the the underground shelter and then you have to get to the border and each step must have been feeling like it was further away from security and safety but at the same time that didn't feel very safe in Kiev. It was just constantly making life-changing decisions. Yeah, yeah, so hard. And then you were, so, I mean, I was going to ask you about your English because it's phenomenal, really good. I mean, obviously you. you've been here for a year now in the UK, but um, was this something you'd learned at school and then you were you were learning with friends online and things? What was your interest in English in the first place? 
Um, in the first place, um, I really enjoyed doing English at school, but um, at school we really to just basic level of English, how to um, say something at the airport, how to do sh- go shopping and things like that. And um, not many people go beyond that. And when I was about 15 uh, years old, I decided that I want to do uh, Cambridge um, sorry, Oxford um, certificate, um, an FC, FC test. And I had to prepare for that for a year and I've passed it quite mm. successfully. Mm. And I just did enjoy English. You've got a natural yeah. flair for it. And who knew that, you know, in learning English and then you learn, what, what was the name of the boy that, that helped so, so much in Polish? Marchik, and you meet Marchik, and then he is able to offer such a kind gesture that must have made such a big difference um, when you got there. Yeah, we just still communicate. And when I came back from the trip to Ukraine recently, uh, we've met we've met the family again in Poland, and it was really nice to see them over a year now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So. So you can, yeah, whenever you go back to Poland, you know you've got a friend for life. Yes. I mean, that's just incredible. And then how, so how did you make the decision to come from Poland to, to the UK? So um, we found a place to rent and um, I can't say that life in Poland was bad, but just um, some thoughts about Ukraine and we thought about going back as um, my relatives, my grandma, my father are still in Kiev and um, I'm in Poland and uh, we couldn't really get uh, work there because you have to learn the language. Um, but but it was fine. And then um, we're looking into some possibilities to study uh, because I really wanted to go to university. And um, then my mom's old friend, Lena, had uh, she met at the hospital when she when they both were giving birth to me and um, Carol. Uh, so Lena called uh, my mum and um, she was interested in going to the UK because um, there are some um, studying possibilities and also they've just opened up um, a sponsorship program and um, we could get visas pretty easily. And uh, we just had a think about it, and then we found our sponsors, which was a great match, and it just came naturally. Wow, wow! So, how did you initially find those sponsors? Was that done through Homes for Ukraine, or was that done just by connecting people? Some people were using Facebook groups and all sorts. I mean, there was there was there were so many different systems at the very beginning, because this was still very early days, presumably. Um, yeah, they just opened up the sponsorship program and um, it, it was important for us to stay close with Lena mm. as that's um, the, pretty much the only person we would know and we're not sure if we'll find any Ukrainian friends here. And um, she found her sponsors firstly and then um, I think a friend of hers recommended um, my sponsors and then mm. we had a Zoom call which were, went really great and um, yeah we just connected like that. Wow wow and it is it's heartening to know that there were that many people who when they heard about these stories they saw it on the news that was their first instinct was to say you know can we can we offer some homes or can we can we get people across to the UK so you've ended up coming to this area around Chipping Camden I think there are now how many families would you say are still still in Chipping Camden um I'm not sure how many families exactly in Chipping Camden but about the Cotswolds area I think about 70 of them right right so you have found at least there's been some really good um opportunities to support one another to to form a little sort of network of people who can be supportive and and help each other what I've been heartened by is how much support there has been not only from um the people in the community supporting Ukrainian families but the support for one another has been 
amazing. Yeah, I'm very happy that I've met lots of wonderful people around here from different cities in Ukraine and that's different stories that um, I'm very pleased there are people with um, similar situation to mine I could uh, speak to and share my thoughts with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it is important because otherwise it would be such an isolating experience, you know, to be here for so long. And nobody could have predicted that it was going to go. I mean, it's still still very yeah. unclear how long this will go on for. What's the, the other thing that's been really powerful for me is that you've been able to get into school and, you know, you've been studying A-levels here in the UK. How, how easy or difficult was that once you found your sponsor? Uh, well, we decided to um, look in the future and um, uh, I've emailed a uh, principal um, if they would have a place for me and they I said they're happy to accept me. And only after that, we decided to sign up for the sponsorship program. I see. So you were, you were yeah, making sure that there was some sort of opportunity for, for education. Yeah, I wanted to, for it to be um my place secure yeah yeah absolutely and it, I mean I just think it's a wonderful story that that your mom and Lena who met each other when you were you know when when you were being born and Kirill was being born in the same hospital and now you're you're living here yeah, yeah both at school together and both supporting one another and you said there are now five five students at the school yeah, it's now uh, about five students at the sixth form. Yeah. And how has that been for you? How has it been to sort of just arrive at secondary school? Because that's that's quite a challenge to sort of walk into school. And I mean, your English is very good, but I don't imagine everybody had the same experience. And how have you found it? Um, I think I was the first Ukrainian student who came to um, to the school and um, what, what, what made me happy that they've um, placed um, translation to Ukrainian on all the doors, like chemistry class, um, wow. IT classroom and things like that. Um, not that I've needed it much, but uh, it made me happy that they offer support. Just to see your language written yeah. on the door I guess is a little jolt of oh yes somebody sees that I'm here and yeah that's amazing and then um in terms of I mean you've you've actually managed to get back to Ukraine um it's not an easy journey is it you have to go to Poland and then get the bus is that is that how it works um so there are no direct flights to Ukraine anymore as it's just simply dangerous so you have to um, fly to a third country first. Some go to Poland. I think most people go to Poland and um, some people go to Moldova and other border countries. Um, so how we did it, how we've made it. So we, flight, we took a flight from um, UK to Poland and then uh, we took a bus, which was quite a long journey on a bus because Ukraine is quite a big country. Yeah, yeah. So you took you sort of like 12, 13 hours or? Um, hours took about 17 hours wow. as the roads uh, had an ice cap on them and the driver has to be um, extremely careful. Yeah. But normally yeah. it takes about 15, I think. Gosh, so you've managed to see, because it must be so hard, you've got relatives, your dad's back in, in uh, Kiev. So it, it must be harder to go back and then leave again in some ways. Um, when I first ended up in Kiev, I, I felt some sort of euphoria mm. um, that mm. I'm back. And, um, and then um, it was about a bit bittersweet because... Um, it feels like your home it is your home but it feels different and it, it, it's not as it used to be yeah yeah there's a real process of I mean it's a it's a real loss isn't it it's a real you must be missing your dad all the time and and then missing life as it was what do you do to to try and kind of um, get through the, the, the there must be tough days days where you just 
think this is really not not much fun. Do you mean in Ukraine? Well, both here and Ukraine, it's 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 difficult. I guess that that sense of loss is almost like a grief. Um, yeah, there are lots of things and places and people that um, Russians have taken from from us, and um, I miss quite a lot um, to see um, buildings, and mm. there are also monuments that are now covered in huge uh, bags of sand or some substance. I think it's sand um, because if there is a rocket shelling and um, some parts of it could possibly damage the monument, it's uh, made to prevent the damage. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing cave with all the lights on at night yeah. and um, all the fun thing. Yeah, yeah. Just everything is just so, so different now. And I know when we were talking, you mentioned... You drove out of Kiev with your dad to go and see your relatives. And you said, I remember the, the story about the, the motorway and how it's just not the same anymore. Um, well, so I'm a newer driver and me and my dad practiced um, from time to time when I was back in Kiev. And then um, we decided why not we go to another city to see my relatives, which is about an hour and a half away from Kiev. So um, the moment I went on a motorway, it started making a weird sound, which I, I first thought something was wrong with the car. And I asked my dad and he said, so um, if you see, if you look at, a, at the road, you can't see any um, any." significant damage to it but on uh, 24th of February and the following days when the tanks would go out of Kiev um, they've leave, they've left uh, horizontal scratches on the road which when you drive in it, um, it it makes just the sound um, which just reminds you what happened on the yeah. 24th and it's just there like a sort of really stark reminder of of what's what's still going on i mean it's it's uh it's still unfolding and how's your dad coping um he's um he, he's saying he's fine and um has a job in Kiev and um he's helping my grandma with groceries and mm. things like that so he said he even if he could leave ukraine he wouldn't um, because he's very happy to stay in Ukraine and lots of my friends who stayed in Kiev or Ukraine, they're very happy that they're home rather than abroad or um, somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And and as you say, because there's all your extended family, it's, it's being there for support. And I was just wondering, Anastasia, what... Um, what are the things that have made a difference to you in helping you? I mean, apart from going to school, what have been the things that have really helped you on this side of things when you're back in the UK to feel a bit more settled and a bit more like it's it's doable? Well, first of all, my sponsors. So my sponsors made us feel like we're a family and this feeling that we're not alone here mm. as we're in Poland, it helped quite a lot. And also there are local um, people who live locally who um, just organized trips to lavender fields, to a Broadway tower, and that's wow. just a day trip, but it just helps you to clear your mind and relax and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, just showing you around and trying to sort of get, yeah, help you get familiar with the local surroundings. And I remember Lena telling me about the story of the, the ballet. It was one of our neighbours, Georgina, uh, who I've met at the Ukrainian dinner. Me and my sponsors organised at the um, local village hall. Uh, and she invited us um, and kind of offered tickets to the ballet. And um, it, it was about... Um, ten of us 
uh, and we went all together to ballet and it was amazing. Mm, yeah, just to sort of, yeah, as you say, it's it's just trying to make some memories, trying to keep yourself busy and dwell on the positive things as opposed to yeah. thinking too much about what's going on back at home. Yeah, it's incredible. And so for you, um, you're studying at the moment maths, economics and art. Yes. And what are you hoping, um, if you if you do stay in the UK, what are you hoping will be the next steps? Um, I really hope I go to uni. I have some options. Um, I decided that um, architecture, it, it is my hobby, but I'm sort of more interested in economics. And also I really want to come back at some point and be able to help my country and um yeah economics yes yeah. yeah there's so much interest in that especially if you do get involved with architecture and there's so much that you'll be able to offer yeah in, in the future so do you see yourself maybe staying in the UK to study for your sort of further studies um yeah absolutely I came to UK and I really like their educational system here and I'm hoping to go to university here wow and I know I mean one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you was to be able to say just how impressed I've been at how much of a support you have been to the people that you know you've met you said there are about 70 families in this area but it's it's really um people like you who are willing to make extra special effort to integrate to meet other people you know you came and met me you were willing to act as a translator it's it's been amazing and I think that's what helps people to know where they can be helpful and where they can maybe lend a hand yeah I'm very glad that I'm able to offer any help that I have so yeah yeah and I know you said you have a you have a friend who's over here on her own because her sister's gone back so there's lots of different people in lots of different circumstances and I think it's really important to um to reflect on yeah those those people who are not necessarily here even you have your mother here with you but some people aren't here with any any of their family yeah when we connect we're much stronger than we're yeah absolutely absolutely so I always ask people about um, music because I think it's a bit of a universal language. And I think in this context, especially, it's been so important to, um, to really find the things that we have in common um, as much as the things that set us apart. So what kind of music do you like listening to? Um, I listen to all sorts of music from 90s music to modern music are quite like Ukrainian rock music. Right, right. Like the Hard Kiss band from Eurovision. Yeah, I was going to say, did you listen? Because Eurovision was just last two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Oh, wasn't yeah. It? it was really good. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So so you, you appreciated the Ukrainian song for Eurovision? You thought it was good? Um, yeah, it was really good. I, I liked the band as well. And I listened to them for quite a long time. And do you have um, a particular favourite song that you'd like to add to, to the playlist for Collective Wisdom? Um, so there is a song which is quite old and that's one of um, my father's favourite songs that we used to listen on our way to Crimea when I was smaller. So it, for me, it would be Modern Talking Brother Louis. Modern Talking. Oh, so so modern talking is the yeah the, is band. the band and then and then the song is brother louis yes and um, this is something you used to listen to when you were going on holiday and yeah it was just one song that would constantly play in the car and just smell like for me just smells like going on a holiday um summertime uh, sea breeze and, yeah yeah um, the kind of things just favorite memories and I, I imagine that's something you can listen to now and start to be a bit more hopeful and optimistic for the future yeah it just helps me to remind what a great great time it was it brings me back to my childhood as it was our favorite holiday to go to 
Fantastic, fantastic. And is there anything, I mean, you have had to be so grown up. I, I, I think for me, the saddest part about this story is how you've had to miss such a critical part of your adolescence, really, and just be so grown up and mature and rise to the occasion. Is there anything that you think has really helped you get through this tough time? Well, I think for me, the biggest part of it was accepting things I cannot change because first few months that came here, I was just constantly reading the news, upsetting myself, and my mind was just somewhere in Ukraine, not here. I couldn't focus on my studies and and work and nothing. I was just drawn by my emotions and I couldn't really make any progress and mm. help anyone and just accepting that um, this is it. It is happening and there is not much I could do to change this situation, but I have to accept it and move on and also try to find resources, trying to find motivation to work and um, help others as well. So that was very important for me. So, so impressive. It's, yeah, it's that moment of acceptance. And I think that's exactly what you have done. You've said, there are certain things I wish they weren't the way they were, but I can't change them right now. And you seem to have just been able to find the courage to lean into. So what can I do with my new situation? And it's such an optimistic story from that point of view. I think that's you you have really helped us to see from what is some of the worst of humanity. You know, any any act of war is just it shows the worst of humanity. And yet in those moments, you've really shown us just those small kindnesses make such a huge difference to to everyone involved. Yeah, and the war is still going on and there are still so many people that are desperate for help and understanding that and accepting the situation is hard times now um it's just crucial yeah really crucial and and do you have a message to anyone who who's listening to this and thinking how how can i help you know what what are the things that make a difference um for me it's just i don't feel that I'm qualified enough to give advice on that. But I just, if I was a person um, who had a will and motivation and ability to help, not because not everyone has a spare room or spare house to take our responsibility to host Ukrainian family, uh, but there are so many other resources that you could help with. There are still um, displaced people from other cities in Ukraine and local charities. Um, and there is also the Ukrainian embassy was very helpful. They have a church and um, they also have some links and um, you could talk to them and they could offer, offer, offer what we could do from that. Yeah, I think I think sharing resources is really helpful. If you um, are able to offer, I mean, even English lessons. I think if uh, you know, if there's somebody that you know in the community who might benefit from being able to meet on Zoom and and just improve their English, is, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's really anything from English classes, the legal support. I was lucky that my sponsor is um, a lawyer, but um, not everyone has uh, such opportunity. So it could be anything, clothes that you don't really need, books in English or Ukrainian, anything. Yeah. And I will definitely be pointing people in the direction of the Sanctuary Foundation, um, Homes for Ukraine, who, I mean, we're in Gloucestershire, and I can only say that I've been so impressed with the the level of coordination and once everybody did get on board it took a few months yeah but there's been um so much more support and yeah we'll be putting links in the show notes for anyone interested in knowing how they can offer continued support and it doesn't always mean offering to host a family it's more about the little things the everyday things you can do 
maybe helping someone get a job, um, if you know somebody who can who can help with schooling, all those sorts of things make a real difference ongoing. Yeah, it really does help. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia, for taking the time to come and um, share your story. It's I hope it's been uh, an experience where you get to see just how much courage you've shown. It's an incredible story. And all I can do is 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 hope that, you know, this this story is going to have a good outcome, that you're going to get back to Ukraine and be part of the process of, of rebuilding your country. Yeah, I'm very grateful that I've been invited and um, and I'm able to share my story and hopefully it makes a difference to others as well. It really will do. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Anastasia for so bravely agreeing to come on the podcast and share her story, which is sadly the story of over 100,000 Ukrainians currently here in the UK. I'm always in awe of anyone who's willing to speak out publicly, especially in a language that's not their mother tongue. And if you've been moved by our conversation and want to support those in need, I encourage you to visit either the sanctuaryfoundation.org.uk or helpukrainians.co.uk. These organisations are doing incredible work to provide assistance and refuge to those affected by the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, and in the case of Sanctuary Foundation, to refugees from around the world. There are links in the show notes, and as Anastasia has shared, your support in any way, shape or form can make a meaningful impact on the lives of refugees and those communities in need. And thanks too to all our wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Your time and attention mean the world to me. So please consider subscribing or leaving a review and sharing collective wisdom with your friends and family. It's my hope that together we can spread the message of the ripple effect that kindness has on the world. And stay tuned for more inspiring stories in the episodes to come. Next week, I'll be digging into human design and discovering more about the benefits of understanding your unique energy type and how it can help you to live a more fulfilled and purposeful life with a former guest and long-term friend of the show, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. So I do hope you'll join me for that. In the meantime, have a great week and thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.